Welcome to the Dan and Kimberly podcast. I found it. I found the record button, Kimberly. I've only used this program like what? 30 times now? Minimum. Minimum. (laughs) And yet, I still don't know how to make this thing go. But we did it. We did it. We've arrived. Okay, so hi, I'm Dan Fay. I'm Kimberly Joy, and this is Podcast 30, and we usually cover an author of some sort at the the tens. So this time we picked um, Brene Brown, who is fantastic. (laughs) That was also my impression from like re-looking into her work to talk about her. Mm -hmm. Um, Though I empathize with pre-podcast Kimberly, who was like, what do we cover She's very, like, dense, and, like, in a good way, but, like, yeah, it's not very... Not dense in a hard-to-understand way, just no. dense is like, oh, there's so much gold here! Yeah. It's, it's, like, so very good. content and, uh, like, concepts and value-rich. Totally. Um, which is, like, I guess that's an interesting place to start, because um, she was trying to do something cool, right? Because she was doing a bunch of research mm-hmm. um, and trying to, like, figure out how shame and guilt and all that stuff works, and she's a, she's a behavioral sociologist, right? Uh, no, what's her actual thing? But she like she records stories. Mm-hmm. So so she went out into the field and she just like tell me your story, tell me your story. Like that's yeah, how she she's collects a researcher. data. Yeah. Um, and um, and so she just like went out there trying to like figure the thing out because mm-hmm. it seems so nebulous to her. And it's interesting all these years later after her like penning a bunch of books and getting like a reasonably decent following. Like she's. I don't think she's very controversial. Like, out of all the people that, like, present a random topic that ends up, like, impacting a lot of people and her becoming, like, very popular, like, popular as in well-known, um, I my perception is that she doesn't have, like, also a camp of, like, huge dissonance. It's like, ah, oh, you know, ah, talking about vulnerability and shame, what a hack. Yeah, well, um, yeah, she's hard to dislike because her topic is so real and good and she's vulnerable it's hard it's hard to dislike her because she's she's doing what she's saying we should do and so i think it surprised her as much as everyone else (laughs) she ended up like being the figurehead almost yeah for this like basic gritty human concepts right that we all we already have like she didn't invent shame no she didn't invent the idea of guilt right um so like she's in this like wonderful position that kind of like uh raises my love and appreciation for like the people who are trying to figure out humans and like the personal growth slash sociology like Mm -hmm. like sphere because she's like my standard example of someone who was just like man we should probably like lock down kind of like this basic thing and then she right. does it and was just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> You're teaching like the most useful thing ever. And she's like, oh, cool. <laughs> it's also painful. You want to come? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she was not mentally prepared. I think her first TED Talk has like 35 million views now. And she was like, <gasps> she said after her first TED Talk, she woke up with a vulnerability hangover. I just told 500 people these things. <laughs> oh no uh yeah now you're in the 35 million mark congratulations so yeah it really resonates with a lot of people and she's the one speaking of like the phrase vulnerability hangover she she coined that right 
I'm not sure. I just know that she's the first person. She coined it for me. Yeah, she coined it for me. So like, and it's a phrase I, I, because, okay, stepping sideways a bit, but like English and languages, languages sometimes um, cannot convey like a certain feeling. Like they just don't have language for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, English is a good example because like, we're just like missing words. Um, Remember when I was trying to figure out like why I like listening to Eminem? Yes. (laughs) And I'm like, is there an English word, like one word that, that like represents this thing? We chat about, we chat about it. Mm -hmm. And you ended up talking to like, like a mutual friend of ours that like. Yeah. He found a good German word for us. German word. Right. Klaus did. Mm -hmm. Right. And it Um, was good. German has some amazing words that we don't have in English. Yes. And that word like totally was just like, oh yeah, that concept. Mm -hmm. Um, And the phrase vulnerability hangover um did that for me because it was during a a section of my life where like i was trying to get a little bit granular with emotions and like not just either be swept away from them or just like done them out like just turn them off like ah it's a bad one mm-hmm. um and like the feeling of a vulnerability hangover is now something i say all the time mm-hmm. um because i because i try to live authentically and i um when i'm practicing radical honesty it's nice to have language around the neutral aftermath of that um and that's the other thing about Brene Brown around like the idea of vulnerability is her not being a spokesperson saying to be a good moral human or a good citizen you must be vulnerable or if you are not being vulnerable then you are a bad person right she's not putting a value judgment on it but she is saying if you would like to I believe the term she uses is wholehearted living you would like yes. to have a wholehearted life that you live. This is what it looks like. And here are the ways it'll impact you. And here's how you do it. And she has written, I believe, five books on the topic. And they're all really good. And um, I wouldn't say that they're repetitive. It's more like she's getting deeper and deeper and deeper every time in the topic. So you could pick up any one of her books and just be blown away. Yeah, I agree. And, and I find that fascinating that she's one of those authors because i i only have a few of them i might only have like two of them that like i wholeheartedly would recommend to everyone <laughs> like like without like a caveat of being mm-hmm. like oh well you know this has a very specific type of language like there are some books that i i, I sometimes want to recommend but then i have to always preface with like um like the author comes from like a very strong religious background so like mm-hmm. that's the majority of the framing right. uh, good examples like boundaries i like when I'm talking about boundaries, I always frame it with like, the book's amazing. The concepts are amazing. It'll be really, really helpful. And also like, if you're not already like saturated in like uh, Western Christian language, um, you're going to need to like bite the bullet a bit to like mm-hmm. get right. through the initial examples to be able to get to like the meat of what they're talking about. Um, Do you think that's because she never set out to be a guru, to have a message? She simply went out and gathered the data and reported back to all of us. Here's the thing. Like, here it is. <laughs> she wasn't like, I'm going to go and find the message. Right. Found the information and then told us. Exactly. Well, and it, it comes off that way, right? Because mm-hmm. especially in her TED Talks, um, she comes off as like being a little bit uncomfortable, even like showing her own research. Right. So she's not there like grandstanding, like, look at what I found, mm-hmm. you know? And so she's like, hey, guess what? I found an uncomfortable narrative that exists in human culture and society. 
I'm going to tell you about it. Because I'm growing. <laughs> yeah. This is scary. So here I am. Ta-da. Yeah. She even caveats it when, when something is um, like it's a theory that she has or a hypothesis that she thinks will pan out. She'll say, I don't have the data to back this up yet, but this is what I think is going on. That's really, it's nice to read a personal development book that isn't somebody's personal opinion or just their. Yeah, I, I agree, actually. I think that's <laughs> why people are drawn to it, too. Because mm-hmm. even like people that aren't like super duper logical, mm-hmm. there's something nice about a story that's just full of like story after story, data point after data point. Yeah. Instead of like someone trying to, it's tough. It's tough in books sometimes to like, wrap someone up in your vision and like mm-hmm. spirit them away. Um, and so if you're like trying to buy into like a personality, um, it's only going to resonate with some people who are like there at the time and like ready to be like mm-hmm. swept, swept away, swept off their feet yeah. by you and your story. Whereas with her, it's just like, Hey, I don't know. I'm just presenting this thing. And then if there's something endearing, right. It's one of the reasons why. So here was, here's why I wanted to actually start this recording before I told you a story. Um, okay. Because when I was thinking back to like Brene Brown, we're like, we're going to talk about Brene Brown. I'm like, cool. And I'm like, I can't remember any specifics about what she, what she actually like said. And it was like mm-hmm. a weird feeling because I'm like, it's important though, isn't it? I thought it was important to me. Um, and then when I went and like relooked through everything, I was like, oh, it's because after reading that book, I reshaped my entire life <laughs> to lean into all that stuff. And I don't mean that like, actually that's a little bit uncomfortable for me to say it's it's weird is that vulnerable to say Dan? a a little bit it's (laughs) it's weird how much um so every listener Mm -hmm. unless this is your first episode i suppose um should be well aware that like um i do personal growth for like relatively specific reasons and most of them are like introspective and self-worth related (laughs) uh so that because like especially in the last like five or six years i've been like trying to like ground myself so that I can do like bigger and better work without like so much uh self-doubt or I don't know self-defeat um and it was coming back to this book for me specifically Darren Gradley that I was like oh this was like a seminal work for me in my personal growth journey in one of those things that basically allowed me to not feel crazy like like having language around vulnerability hangover isn't like oh dan you were out around people and you were authentic and you were all these things and now you feel like shit you're doing something wrong right right oh because wait maybe it actually means i'm doing something right or maybe it just pain. <laughs> or or maybe it doesn't really mean anything mm-hmm. so like the, the actual nice thing for me is that she's neutral on it Mm. so she's not like vulnerability hangovers are the greatest thing you should strive to have them all the time and she's not like vulnerability hangovers are trash and they're telling you you're doing something wrong she's just like vulnerabilities are part of the human experience and they happen when you are living courageously right but it's even though which is like good like interesting to me because now i don't have to like filter digest and place her value or moral ethical judgments Mm -hmm. it's just like it's a data point i guess that's my ti talking but it's like it's nice when someone just gives you a thing and mm-hmm. it's like very neutral <laughs> mm-hmm. and you could just be like, this is just something that allows me to better understand the world. You just pick it up. It's very easy. <laughs> and you're just like, Oh, I have a new thing. Um, it's not easy to do. I was going to say it's conceptually easy. It's yeah. It has been incredibly challenging to learn. <laughs> I think that one's going to be a lifelong journey. Yes. 
for sure. Well, well and it, because it, it's tethered so closely to um, not being stagnant and taking risks and leaning in, right? Mm-hmm. So that's always by the nature of like a phrase like courage um, or, or risk, uh, like they can't get easy because if they got easy, then it would be like a neutralized feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wouldn't be a risk. Like you wouldn't actually be pushing yourself. So that, that's our favorite thing about personal growth, actually. This is why this is an interesting topic to me because that book really did end up being seminal and being like, oh, I understand why I like personal growth now. Ah. <laughs> I understand why I like the idea of radical honesty. I understand why I like the idea of that I am essentially, and I know I fail sometimes, but essentially the same person in every room. Um, and why that's always been a value for me. Mm-hmm. And so after I read that, then I'm like, okay, like be authentic, be authentic. Like, like lean in always be yourself, always show up, right? She also uses the language. Now, granted, she wasn't the first person to say the phrase like show up to me, but show up is like early personal growth, specifically seminar work language for me. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're doing seminar work, right? Because you have like two days, three days, like five days to like dive into stuff. And it's like, it's well, in our classes anyway, it was really framed around like you paid to be here like step up and show up, especially in the first couple of days when people are like uncomfortable and you're like doing the thing. It's like, mm-hmm. like, you know, step into your power, show up. And, and it comes up again in like Darren Greatly. Right. Yeah. She says, because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. So it's like an authentic thing and you have to accept yourself to play the game and to go out there. And then she connected it with um, Maslow's hierarchy of need as well. Right. Love and belonging. Right. That thing that we all want because we are a community, you know, we're communal. We're not islands. We're not individuals who grow by ourselves. We're all connected. You can't really get true love and belonging until you're willing to be vulnerable. And then she maps out, don't be vulnerable with just everybody. And she talks about grandstanding with vulnerability and like yep. stealing the spotlight and even using your vulnerability as a thing to push people away. Like, I'm just going to punch you with this. Can you take it? And so she, re- she really maps it in a practical way. Not just, here's an idea. Good luck. The way you and I can sometimes do. Yeah. yeah. She actually like brings it all the way down to the rubber meets the road. This is what it looks like. Share your vulnerability with people who have earned the right. Don't just share it with everybody. Right. It's- that's built over time and she even had um an example of her daughter with a marble jar do you remember that example yeah but i don't remember it specifically but yeah. okay so like her daughter had a class and her teacher had this jar and every time the class did something that was like built the trust and you know was good in the class she'd stick a couple marbles in there and of course the marbles would grow and then if the trust was broken in the classroom she would take some out right. she didn't wait for the class to prove that they were worthy of trust she just has a jar and you can have that jar with everybody. Here's a jar. Oh, look, we're earning trust. We're earning trust. You can take marbles out. And so you can have marble jar friends. Right. And those are the people that you're vulnerable with. Because if you share your vulnerability, especially if it's a new skill, with somebody who isn't able to or in the right spot to be there. And she uses the phrase, me too. I actually don't know if she coined that one, but this was years ago. That me too was one of the strongest things you could say. Interesting. Okay. okay. I just okay. your podcast. It's like, oh, wait a minute. That's like a movement now. It's a yeah. hashtag. Did that come from Brene Brown? No idea. 
but you have those friends who can go, oh yeah, I've been there. I've made that mistake too. Right. I've yelled at my kids too. I, you know, whatever it is that you're feeling shame about. And then when you share that story, it puts light on it. When you're vulnerable in a healthy way, she talks about how light basically is the antithesis of shame. Shame wants you to hide it. It wants you to bring it in and not share it and hold on tight to it. And that's what a lot of us do is we just hide our shame and it just lives inside of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, um, and that phrasing, right? So it's interesting that I came to terms with that and I actually found ways to use it in a practical way that wasn't uh, really dogmatic. I, I think I, it's because I also really like her style and how she presents that stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, the idea of like bringing your sins out into the light to be seen <laughs> is like a thing. That's like a, that's uh-huh. like a Christian ideal. Um, Let's and, go to confess the confessional. Right. Um, well, and it's like, because if you don't speak about like whatever, then it can't be like out in the open and discussed and understood and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Um, it's turned out interesting. So I have a few things to say on that regard, because you just reminded me that um, I think this also helped me like level up and mature in things that I was already doing, but I was doing unhealthily. Mm-hmm. Um, so early on when I was like coming into my power and beginning doing personal growth stuff. And because I like kind of really enjoyed the rush of being honest, mm-hmm. um, I would use it to sear relationships early. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would like, that's how I see it in my head. Um, and so I would like get to, you know, you know, a handful of marbles in the jar and then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to vet you with one of my very many weirdnesses or secrets let's see if you can take it yeah no and i would literally think that though and mm-hmm. it was this like interesting um thing about i think i was so eager to have someone that had my back or that i could trust mm-hmm. um that i would and i didn't have the maturity to like the patience uh to to let to let the relationship kind of get to a natural level where i could then like more organically like it's always gonna be a risk right to like to like lock in that next step or to like take the risk to be like okay i think there's trust here um i will now tell you this thing and it's like uh, (laughs) but i would do it like way early because i guess that's probably a command and control thing um because it's like i'm I'm not gonna let this happen organically and potentially like come out of nowhere Mm -hmm. i'm gonna choose right now when I want you to know right now. And if you're not, you know, cool enough or uh, like compassionate enough or my friend enough to handle it, then, you know, get out. Right. Um, And the nice thing about her talking about vulnerability and how to deal with shame and building that trust and building those relationships in that marble jar example is like, um, I still do that to like a certain extent like i am more open quote unquote than i think society would expect me to be in general circumstances Mm -hmm. but now i'm not using it as like a maneuver to like vet the room like either my office can accept me exactly as i am right now or they could all go to hell like it's Mm -hmm. not so much that it's more like um, these days, and I think it was, it was literally probably this book that was like, oh, I see, man, that sounds harder. It sounds, sounds harder to like wait for trust or like try to gauge where trust is. 
Um, but now I feel like um, it's the always keep moving and risking thing mm-hmm. of her methodology that's actually doing it. So what I'm actually doing is like, just turn the degree of the office up one more. Just turn the degree of the office up one more. So instead of like all the scalding hot water in at once, you know, and, who, and, who, <laughs> and whoever can't stay at the heat needs to get out of the fire. Uh-huh. Instead, it's just like, oh no, I'm not going to let this relationship go stagnant. Like I will trust you more. I will trust you more. And I'm I'm usually the one that trusts first because I mm-hmm. I have been developing the skill set of like being open, being honest, and like all this stuff. Um, doesn't mean I don't get vulnerability hangovers. In fact. I don't think you cannot if you're actually doing the thing. <laughs> Even sometimes in these podcasts, we'll oh, wrap the podcast. So I'll have a, like a super good experience. We'll like be super great. And then I'll like walk into the podcast. I'll be like, that's probably an overshare. Hmm. <laughs> and I'll just like sit down at my desk. I'll just be like, ah, it stings. Now that's recorded forever. Yeah. That's actually part of why we're doing this podcast. We put this offer almost half a year eight yeah. months I don't know. so we yeah. put it off for a while we should do it nah i'm not ready to put anything out there that sounds scary um she talks a lot about in her later work she talks about the cultural norms that men and women fight against she didn't start out researching men she started out researching just women right and then she realized that men were doing all the same things because their cultural norm that they're fighting to maintain is never appearing weak Yes, absolutely. Totally. Don't be weak. And for women, it's do all the things and don't let them see you sweat. <laughs> and be pretty while you do it. Right. So whenever you step out of that cultural norm, you might get some pushback. Like, what do you want? To, do you want to play big? Do you want to play by the cultural norm? Because guys, especially the men that I coach, are so encouraged to never share, to never say yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, To just, you know, yep, I'm good. Good. Chest up your chest. Got it, yeah. Got this handled. Yeah. Go numb out later. So they'll just, you know, drink beer, or eat something or, you know, yeah. whatever it is that they do to turn off the emotions. We're so good at turning off the emotions. Uh, so I love that her work, I didn't realize how much it had gone toward um, representing both genders mm. later in her work. It, uh, it also brought up questions for me. So the listeners that wouldn't know, actually, you've never met me in person either, but you do know um, that like, I'm handicapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a weird thing. I'm always like startled when I look back at like how t- like long and challenging my regain of person or sorry of like self worth has been. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had a great family. Like I grew up with a, as an only child with my mom, but it was awesome, and she's great. And I I was just having a conversation about this recently, actually. But, like, I wasn't really bu- bullied in school. And I had friends. And we played D&D and we played cards. And I was never left out. And, like, I've had a best friend for, like, my entire life. I've had multiple best friends. And, like, all this stuff, right? I had sleepovers mm-hmm. and I did, like, the whole thing. And it's just weird, like, how worthless I've felt for, like, nearly my entire life. Um, and I think part of that is exactly what you just said, which is like being physically disabled. I don't get the cultural out of I'll go handle this. It'll be okay. Well, you didn't have the option to maintain the facade. Right. Um, But the culture, regardless if I was able to or not, right. Mm -hmm. The waves of the culture still washed over me. And I don't Mm -hmm. think, and it's, it wasn't until like, 
the last little bit, frankly, like the last year or two that I'm like, oh, <laughs> like, cause I didn't even know, like I've, I've had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. I was just like, maybe I was just predisposed <laughs> to think I was a trash human. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just had to do extra work, like building up like a, a better internal self-image that I could reflect outward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think part of, it, part of it also is like legitimately that, and I still think it like when talking about this, like right this second, there's still like that nagging gremlin in the back of my head that is like, yes, like if the house was on fire, you are not particularly the dependable one that can get your kids and spouse out. Mm-hmm. Or like, yes, you will most likely never be able to like whisk your wife off her feet. You know, like there's all these like these cultural narratives mm-hmm. um, around things being handled or about they're just going to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I like, it's so obviously true that I can only do part of it. I'm not saying I can't do any of it. So it's not like this weird impotent statement of like, and I can't do anything because I'm like really <laughs> smart and talented and I have like a whole bunch going for me. Mm-hmm. And yet, like traditionally, culturally speaking, um there's like less of a facade I can put up because it's just like obvious <laughs> that certain things. And I think I took a huge hit for that, like not as guilt because I'm not doing anything wrong. So this is something we haven't like, this is a definition we should split and we should have split way earlier. And I should guilt have versus shame. Yeah. Cause that's like the most fundamental important thing. About Let's shame. go there. Shall we? <laughs> um, so the example is easy and most people know it, but for the odd listener and or person that, does not know it um it can be described very very simply so being guilty about a thing is ah man you know i've made a mistake Mm -hmm. uh but feeling shame about a thing is ah man i am a mistake yeah and that's it and they are so and the the latter of those is so fundamentally internally destructive yeah it's connected with so many things depression anxiety drug abuse suicide um so and i can actually speak on this because like this puts me in an interesting position so like being disabled isn't always great though i don't necessarily think about it a lot because i was born with cerebral palsy um but in a conversation like this it like it gives me this weird window into like inherent shame issues with it where without a bunch of like very proactive intentional stuff and my mom did actually a lot of stuff I, I i remember a lot of stuff in my childhood where like she helped me when i was being particularly down on myself mm-hmm. she helped like diminish some of it uh did i ever tell you the story have i ever told you the podcast of like um, me being like, ah, oh, you know, I'm never going to be able to be an all-star soccer player. And she's like, I mean, neither is your best friend. So people just aren't going to be all-star <laughs> soccer players. What's the matter? <laughs> it's fine. And then I'm like, and I was like a huge weight off my shoulder. Um, and she was just doing it. I mean, she was doing it for that reason to like take that weight off my shoulder. But um there's just like so much of that that it turns out in my adulthood I've had to unpack for myself mm-hmm. that I don't think it's feasible that like any parent could totally set the ground for a disabled person totally clean. Um, because inherently there is this odd extra bit of actual tangible weight to um, I am like the mistake. 
or like I am broken. That was that was one of my very first revelations doing seminar work. I don't know if I've ever told you this. Wow, this is on air now. Weird. <laughs> um, well, of course, we're having a conversation about vulnerability, so I'm telling all these stories. I'm, this is actually like vulnerability is like uh, among my favorite topics because I love being honest. No longer like see relationships. I have no interest in like burning in our friendship better over this or like winning the love of a thousand listeners. Um, <laughs> it's just like it's kind of turned into like a little bit of a power that I like turning on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, uh, and I mean, it also puts me in a different energy. Like I'm way more present now than usual. Uh, it's probably addicting to be. Yeah. It can be. <laughs> well, that's probably why I still strive, strive to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the first revelations that happened when I went from the like intro course of the seminar work I was doing early on in my twenties, like in my mid twenties to doing the second level, um, was we had an evening where we were basically speaking out our worst fears or like coming to terms with something that we've never really told anyone. Um, And only a few of us got to do it. It was basically the people who had the guts in the evening to actually like break forward of it. Um, And I'll never forget. I actually can't forget because it's like, it's one of those like chrysalis milestones in my personal growth that like when I think about it and talk about it, I still like, it feels really weird. And what I ended up saying is that like, I've always felt broken and like a monster, Mm -hmm. Um, which is like looking back on it, like as I am now, I, I, I can't, it's very challenging for me to like empathetically slip into that perception (laughs) That's and be good. like and like see myself like as a monster but like I, but it evokes the same emotions in that moment where i'm just like yeah that was like the truest thing i had ever said in like the first 25 years of my life and it was like but it was nice to true how hmm? true as in it was true to me oh true to you okay got it so it was one of those things so this is to her this is to her point like Brene's mm-hmm. brown's right is that I couldn't get to point A and start working on that fundamental baseline part of my self-image mm-hmm. until I said it. <laughs> and then and then I was like, and then I knew, like, because it resonated. And it was like this thing. And it didn't matter if other people told me it wasn't true. It didn't matter. But it gave me like a starting point. I was now at the starting line. You could at least see what you believed. Right. And so, and that set me up for the next, I'm 31. So that set me up for the next six years of like turning that, thinking about it, chipping off a piece of it, turning Mm -hmm. it around. Oh, maybe I thought more like this. Okay. Chipping it off. Okay. No, I'm actually more like this. Okay. Dissolving that part. And like, it wasn't overnight. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) 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 I wish I could tell you that vulnerability work is an overnight thing. It's like a (laughs) lifelong thing. Exactly. Yeah, um, done a lot of stuff. Perfection. Uh, it sounds like you're dealing with your enough idea. Do you believe you're enough now? Yeah, we've yeah. had we've had that conversation. Uh, we've had that conversation because okay, so this is another story for short days, right? But this is when you I have told you. Okay. Uh, but it was it was in like the intro course when I was like getting my first dose of like being honest and taking the risk of like, hey, who wants to go up? you know, and share what they learned on the last thing. Boom. I was always first person up. I was always sitting in the front and I'm not like a keener, but it's like, but I, I found my school, mm-hmm. right? I, I found, I found my sphere where it's like, boom, this is risk university. 
I'm in, let's do it. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, there was that question I was asked where it was like, hey, Dan, you know, like, what makes you you? Who are you? And I'm like, well, I'm a programmer and I'm this and I'm that. And it's like, okay, well, if you weren't a programmer, you know, and you, and you weren't smart, that was the other thing. Fuck, it still bugs me now because like, if that's the part that still gets me, I don't care about being a programmer anymore. But it's always like, because it'd be like, you know, I try to like be really introspective and know what's happening and, and, you know, at least have a baseline understanding of how to help people. And it's like, okay, well, if you didn't have that, it's like, ah, that still stings a little bit. Um, <laughs> and yet I didn't have an answer at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Because w- once the facilitator kind of stripped that all away, I, I ended up saying like, well, I'd be nothing. Which is also like a statement of where my like self-worth was at the time. Like if I didn't right. have titles and if I didn't have reputation, if I didn't have all this ego, then there would be nothing there. But these days, right. Which is the same answer to like the, the enough question. It's like, if you didn't have a stuff, I'd be like, I don't know. Like, I, I've told you this before. It's like, I'd still be me. It'd be mm-hmm. great. I don't need to self-justify against, like, your perception of me or phrasing or a title or any of those terms. Like, my essence is still fundamentally the same. I would still strive and do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I'm no longer worried about it. And that's, like, a weird feeling you can't teach someone. I no, think. you can't teach <laughs> I've tried. Like, right. People look at me weird. What do you mean you believe you're enough? Most of the time, I'm I'm pretty good. I believe I'm enough. I have my dips. Yeah, sure. But I'm not like fighting for perfection anymore. I'm not fighting to earn my place in love and belonging anymore. I still slept. Still, I'm still a people. Yep. But it's so much lighter to just be kind of like, I'm here. Now, what do I want to do? How do I want to be useful? Not because I'll be enough if I jump through all these hoops. I'm already enough. I'm not chasing that anymore. And that puts me in a place of, Oh, what do I want? What am I passionate about? What do I want to experiment with and, and be vulnerable about? I don't know. I'm going to fall on my face over there for a while. <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> Good thing I have a couple of Marvel jar friends. Exactly. Because <laughs> I do. I can shame spiral. Like, uh, I'm a horrible person. It's all, why, why? And it's just the spiral. And I've, some of my cl- I've had some of my clients do it. My kids do it. And it's just amazing that we can do that. I have no worth. I don't belong here. I have no value. I'll never be enough. I'm nothing. Yeah. Pretty intense feeling. <laughs> it's it's quite the intense feeling. Yeah. I uh maybe it'll come back. I've had I've been on like a pretty good run. Been on a good run. For the last few years. Actually, the catalyst and like it's this is to your credit, but like when I chose to sit down and work with you for a bit, mm-hmm. um, that was like the beginning of dealing with those spirals and how frequent they were getting specifically mm-hmm. <laughs> so like i done a whole bunch of other work and i was feeling comfortable like my communication style and i was working on leadership but i like got all this stuff and i knew that i love people and helping people and my life mission was to like encourage and inspire and like stuff so great right and yet i was still like my worst critic in like this savage way that i couldn't uh like reconcile mm-hmm. <laughs> between my like overwhelming compassion and drive to help other people. And yet my like distinct hatred of myself, it's a complicated feeling. I uh, love all the people, just not me. Yeah. Which self, oh no, I'm a garbage person, but like yeah. that person's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, your love of yourself really dic- dictates how much you can love other people. Right. Exactly. And we think we can skip that part. I don't have to love me. I know me too well to love. Right. But you really can't skip it. Can't, you can't. I wonder how much Brene Brown loves herself now after all of this work. 
She seems to get more and more solid as her work goes along. Well, and her being like a a researcher, right? Mm -hmm. It's the perfect world for her because as she got more popular, it like, the popularity I don't think super matters to her, though probably like on a mission sense, it's nice for that idea to get out there. That's probably like a really good feeling. That probably helped her deal with the vulnerability. (laughs) I know it wasn't her goal. Right. (laughs) But the other side of it is like, it would be insurmountably very, very stupid for people to cancel her projects now Mm -hmm. and not fund her. Like she's in the perfect academic, like academic researchers around the world are probably ultra envious of how her specific undercurrent or like thread of research hit Mm -hmm. the public attention. Yeah. Um, Because now she is getting more solid because she's doing more research. I don't think the audience really, like, I think we partially validated her claims, mm-hmm. but I think they were kind of self-evident. Like, cause she had the reason she, she wasn't trying to get us to agree with her. Right. Like she had the research. She was just like, Hey, this thing turns out to be the thing. Um, so like now that she's been able to put more and more years in it and there's like very little risk of people being like, ah, that's enough Renee Brad. Like, stop. I know you're a, you know, New York Times critically acclaimed best-selling author that's totally making this like huge global impact, but stop it. <laughs> Go. Well, she actually said in her second, her actual TED talk, when she was at TED, she said the first TED talk forced her to realize something challenging about herself. She was intentionally playing small. Ah. She intentionally didn't want to put her work out there because she didn't want people to see her. So that, that, whole thing is just a <laughs> journey it's like oh you're amazing and she's like yeah can I go back to my small little <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> one of her quotes that I think is really amazing uh, that goes right along with this because we're all struggling right and most of my clients they're like I ah, I've done this before why haven't I mastered it there's so much judgment about the struggle <laughs> itself why haven't I arrived yet I should have outgrown this by now she says you are imperfect you are wired for struggle, but you are worthy of love and belonging because we like to take that away from ourselves. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> she's struggling. She's, she struggled in the beginning. She struggled with what she found in the research. She struggled with all of the fame. She's probably still struggling because she's a people and yet she is still worthy of love and belonging. And so are each one of us. And that's such a hard message to internalize. Like you said, it's really easy to tell somebody that. I love you. You're worthy. Done. It's really hard to tell that to yourself. Have you gotten better at doing that? Uh, Yeah, actually. Um, Uh Well, it's like, so when I've experienced that in like a few different angles, so the interesting thing about her, Mm -hmm. not not that I totally like have read before doing this thing (laughs) about like where she stands in her like faith or anything, Mm -hmm. but the idea of like, you are a broken, you know, sinful human. And also you are worthy of love is also a Christian tenet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's like part of the reason why people really dig Jesus because, because they're like, ah, oh, regardless of all this shame and guilt and stuff that I have bottled up, I know that, you know, this, this being still loves me unconditionally. Um, and the thing is, the way I read her work, it's like shedding off tons of that, the dogma mm-hmm. and the, 
the buy-in you would need to have around something like a, a very specific religion or a very specific reading of a religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of just being like, it's, it's like a, a secular approach. Being like, hey, we, we all have, you know, we all try to be vulnerable. We all have shame. We all have guilt. And guess what? We're all also still these imperfect people trying our best that are still worthy of love blogging. We're all just like, oh. This is the struggle. This is part of living a whole a wholehearted life. This right. is part of daring greatly. Do you want it? And I think that's why it works for nearly everyone. Mm-hmm. Because it's such a universal. It's, it's like, it's echoed in all these other doctrines and all these other things. Like she's speaking something really fundamental. This is going back to what I was saying in the beginning. She like, she didn't invent something. No. She just backed up this like very primal basic thing of being human and articulated it better than anyone had basically before her yeah it's like we all knew the cave was there we all knew it was scary and we all kind of knew we needed to but she got a flashlight and said hey you actually want to see in the corners right here's this piece of humanity she just illuminated something that we all like you said you were kind of doing it before maybe not perfectly but you were stumbling around in the dark trying to figure it out and she went oh look Here's all the research that's like a cross-section of humanity. See, look, you're not alone. We're all struggling. We're all, this is just, this is part of humanity. So you don't need to have shame over struggling. You don't need to have shame over. And I can't remember who, um, I can't remember who said this, but they said there's nothing wrong with feeling shame. It's allowing shame to control you. That's the problem. Mm. So you can actually kind of sit in shame and be curious about it. And okay, this is shame. And she says that she goes, pain, 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 pain. This is just pain. It's part of like, she connects with her body and just like embodies it for a while. Okay, this is what we're doing right now. And then she goes and tries to figure out what to, you know, what to do, what she wants her next thing, plan of action is. Like uh, she gets a bad letter. She said she accidentally hit send when she was bitching at her husband about some horrible response. <laughs> she accidentally sent it back and she was like, shame spiraling. Like pain, 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 pain. Okay, what are, what are the boundaries I want to set? Actually, her stuff touches on so many things we've talked about. It talks about boundaries. It talks about allowing your emotions. It talks, talks about, she doesn't use the empowerment triangle, but she talks about, we pretty much either decide that we're, we're Vikings or we're victims. And you can see how people play those two cards. Right, right. So she, like, so much, it was like, oh, she's amazing. <laughs> so if you haven't noticed, I really like Renee Brown. I want to be her when I grow up. She's also a personal growth integrator. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why she. I, I think she she's, uses she's the word integration. Yeah, I think that's why we like her. Yeah, I think so. Um, and as far as like saying like Dan, I love you. Actually, yeah, that's actually become a tenant in like the last at least three or four years of my life. Like, yeah. and I mean, for some reason, it's helpful and nice, mm-hmm. even though I have no like logical reason of knowing why. <laughs> but when I look in the mirror and be like, you know what? You are awesome. I'm like, aw. Even though, like, it like, does a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, I'm me, and I decided to say those words. Uh-huh. But at the same time, like, even being vulnerable to yourself. Yeah, that's vulnerable to appreciate yourself. Is, like, somehow good. It, which is, like, surreal. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because, like, you know what you really want inside. Mm-hmm. so it'd be like well then why can't my head just like feedback loop itself into me being like really worthy and happy or whatever but it's t- different when you like articulate it w- when you like look in the mirror and you're like 
oh man, you're looking awesome today, Dan. And I'm like, oh, and mm-hmm. I have no idea what the deal is. But yes, um, I definitely, when I took to heart just how like important I feel it is to show people that you respect, appreciate, and love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took a while. It was weird. It was like another half year or longer until I was like, wait a minute. I should apply that to myself actively. (laughs) And it was like way more uncomfortable than applying it to others. I'm actually really comfortable being like, hey, Kimberly, like these are the things I appreciate about you. That's fun. That's like gives me a great hit when I tell other people things that I love about them. Right. That's easy. Uh, But then like walking into the bathroom, like after this or something, you'd be like, hey, Dan, that was an amazing podcast. I really like these. Emily do that. Even saying it on here to you like that (laughs) makes you feel uncomfortable. (laughs) <laughs> One of my coaches gave me the homework to wink to myself every time I see a mirror. <laughs> nice. It was radically uncomfortable. What am I doing? What's happening? I think I thought that if I loved myself and actually believed I was enough, I would become prideful and okay. harmful to other people. Okay. So I actually almost held on to it like something that was protecting other people from this thing that I would become. And that has been totally the opposite of what I've found. Well, you don't want to become a narcissist. A narcissist. She actually uses the word narcissist somewhere. I don't know where that quote went. But um, I realized that loving myself doesn't mean I have to think I'm better than anybody else. Right. It actually made me love everybody else even more. Because if I could love myself in my own struggles and my own, you know, comedy of errors that is my life. (laughs) then I'm just doing the same thing when I'm looking at other people I love. Oh, you're really struggling with that thing. And I'm not going, you know, you probably should have done it this way. Or, you know, I used to have a very judgmental internal dialogue, even when I was telling them good things. So it's stripped away my internal negativity about people in general. Not completely. I'm still an asshat in my head sometimes, (laughs) but it's so much better. It's so much lighter to not be going around looking for all the things that I think everybody is doing wrong and just to love them. They're enough right where they're at. They're fine. They're struggling. That's perfect. That's what life is. <laughs> That's, struggle. They're well, doing it. Yeah. You're doing it. <laughs> you're uh, still here. So yeah. It's really I good. think that lightness like syncs up directly with one of her key life missions, which is like not passing on a whole bunch of your shame issues to your family mm-hmm. and your kids. Um, because there's a difference between you being like a cheerleader for your kids and being like, wow, you really seem stirred up about that thing. That must be really intense. But hey, you know, you're peopling. Good for you, right? <laughs> and, and like, it's a pretty neutral stance. Like it's neutral positive. It's like, mm-hmm. this is a safe place for you to be peopling and I'll be here if you want to like chat a thing out or whatever. But you're not like, you're not a broken human because you're currently spinning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, would be that shame bad human bad right whereas you can easily like uh so i can only really speak from like a male perspective in this specific case but it's super easy to like tell your boys not to cry or something mm-hmm. um which is like seems relatively harmless like i've read a lot of leadership books right and like the concept of like play the man, man is up. like yeah if we've talked about this before off air too <laughs> but like those things like theoretically can be battle cries that are helpful and like align energy a certain way 
but, maybe in a survival situation, but we don't have too many of those anymore. Well, specifically in our culture now, yeah. We like quite literally don't have any reason why you wouldn't want people. And we're starting to get evidence, right? So if you look at stuff like Daniel Pink's Drive or like any other thing that's like also a, like a, a um, like a like a bunch of research around the idea of that people are more powerful when they're being authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, like that seems to be, that should be like one of our next like cultural realizations is, is that like, you don't need magic phrases that like snap your warriors into fight or flight mode so that you can go like do a thing. Right. Instead, like we can create a relatively more authentic space for literally everyone. And actually the dividends are much higher. Mm-hmm. You don't get it on command, right? So you have to sacrifice like a tiny bit of that command and control because you don't get to like look at your, you know, little nephew or whatever that's like crying on the sidelines of a soccer game and be like, man up. And then he's like, ah, I'm going to walk it off. And now he learns how to numb it out. And- well, I think for girls, little girls, you just say, oh, it'll be okay. And you try to make them feel better as if there's something wrong with the emotion of being sad. Right. So I've yes. learned to like, okay, yeah, you're sad right now. That's okay. You want to talk about it? Right. Okay yes, yes, yes. Sad. It's okay to be embarrassed. And then we just go there with no shame. Like there's nothing wrong with you that you're experiencing emotion. How about we chat it out? Because they're my kids. So it's easy. It's harder with adults. Yeah. Because we have so much narrative around manning up or not showing a crack in the facade or being weak or whatever. Whatever your internal dialogue is that encourages you to shut down and not let any of that out. We have a we all have those. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, I, I see. I'm I'm still an optimist at heart. So uh-huh. it feels like that wave is already moving. Like that I think that, so. that the generations are getting a little bit more open and more compassionate. And there's like a, a little bit more of like a mandate that like one of our core generational principles is like being yourself or being authentic. Right. Um, whereas, like, if we went back to like my grandfather or something. I don't think he would have, like, even if you got him in, like, a really safe space. I wasn't this mature when I was around my grandpa. I was, like, six or something. So, like, I couldn't have created this space. I didn't have the skills yet. Mm -hmm. But, like, even if I got grandpa in that space, um, I don't think even logically if I could walk him there, one of the tenants he wishes he could amplify more would be that him and his coworkers and his, his, you know, his other uh, mechanic buddies or like the other people that worked at the quarry, that they were all like more their authentic selves. I, like, I don't think that would have been something that like no, would have been no. obvious. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas it's ultra obvious now. Like if you leave this room and go talk to your daughter and you're like, you know, what's th- the three most important things to, to you and your friends? Like one of them, probably the first one. <laughs> Is going to be the, like everyone doesn't feel like either boxed in or persecuted or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's in the cultural awareness. I think right now some people are misusing it. You have to give me a safe space. I can say whatever I want, and you have to catch me. Sure. Yes. So I think it's um we're built we're tra- we're we're struggling as a culture to figure out how to do this in a healthy way. Once again, I'm an optimist, and that seems like the natural, that seems like when a kid gets a new tool, though. Yeah. We've talked about this before, right? Mm-hmm. The, the cult, our culture and the internet doesn't realize how powerful they are. 
So they end up like reacting in a way that would be a normal way to react in like with your group of friends, except when they react, someone loses their job, their livelihood and destroys their entire reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, they're not being we dead. We don't realize it. We are a culture. We are the internet. Right. We realize how right. We don't we realize are. it. <laughs> so it's exactly. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we as a, as a people, especially in the West, mm-hmm. um, have like all these new tools and amplification systems and stuff like podcasting. Um, or like how anyone can write a book and get it like published in an ebook mm-hmm. or um, how anyone can have a radio show. Like it's really, you basically do anything now. <laughs> it's a wild um, west of. Make, make a YouTube channel, different. right. And yeah. get like a million people. It's not that hard if you're like in the right niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we haven't had enough time to like really reflect on the pros and cons of like that newfound power. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we are a little bit like a bull in a trash shop right now. Um, yeah. and that includes, um, I mean, granted if you do it comparatively, it's human history. It makes sense that we, that people would be like in a very, like feeling very scarce. So it's like, Oh my goodness, it's the wild west quick. Like this is our one chance to be an open society. Grab as much as you can, as quickly as you can. Cause those gates are going to like close again thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, that's adding a little bit of like the the zealotousness, which is unfortunately like overstepping a few boundaries. Like we'll figure it out. It'll, we'll it'll take out. like, it'll take like another generation or two, but like we'll lock it down in a way where like we know how to use our tools very compassionate and empathetically um, instead of just like, aha, I have a weapon now. I've n- I haven't had a weapon for a thousand <laughs> years and now I do. So guess what I'm going to do? <laughs> going to beat you over the head with it. So but overall, like even all that said, like we're going in a miraculously good direction, even considering like just mm-hmm. my lifetime. I'm only 31 and I've seen like radical change. You um, are very young. Yeah. And yet, <laughs> and yet I've seen like, it's crazy. Like I already feel like I'm like a little bit out of step w- with how fast everyone else is accelerating towards new values and I'm still young enough that I could like be malleable and like move with the current. And yet I'm still just like, Oh man, this is like turned into rapids. This is intense, which is good. Cause like going back to our overarching point of this entire episode, um, the, the ability for people to be more open about what they want, how they want to be treated and like act like their authentic selves while being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Even if they are like potentially doing it in like, an unhealthy way like there's a subset of them that are doing it in like let's say the way when i was first practicing it before i had a guide like renee brown um that's still better i would rather have a society stumbling around in the dark because they haven't realized like where the lights are mm-hmm. well it's vulnerable all the mistakes it, we're making are vulnerable yeah so it actually makes me like very excited mm-hmm. um for humanity like theoretically bad things could still happen, but we seem to be doing decent as a culture moving forward. So, um, and it's books like this mm-hmm. that I think just like they were like seminal works in my personal growth will end up being useful guides for society, which is like a big thing to say. I think, I think if Brene Brown ever heard this episode, that would stress her out. <laughs> Maybe. Don't listen, Renee. We love you. And also, I'm ashamed. Look away. Because <laughs> it goes through this, like, 
oh man, I'm nervous about talking to 500 people mm-hmm. to like her being one of the top 10 TED Talks ever or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, to me sitting here being like, it's pretty important. Like of, of all the topics I've ever read a book in the personal growth realm on, mm-hmm. this is the one I, I will reiterate. This is, the, this is the body of work that I would unapologetically recommend to every human. <laughs> right, every person. It's yeah. timeless. I think you can get something out of it no matter where you are on your personal growth journey. And she yeah. even says like um, innovation and creativity and connection, they're all on the other side of the skill that we, we don't have dialed in yet. Right. And it is a, it is a relationship thing. You, can, you can't really force people to accept your vulnerability. You have to, it has to be a give and take. You catch them, they catch you back and forth. You're not always going to be exactly who you, your friend wants you to be, but you, you try and you get vulnerable about how maybe you didn't catch them and you go back and forth and you figure it out. Yeah. And it's going to be okay. We're selling massive amounts of discomfort. And on the other side is connection <laughs> and love and belonging. <laughs> what a salesman you are. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Come hop in the bathtub of discomfort with me. We'll be that, vulnerable and share our stories. That was very honest. No, to be fair, <laughs> that's also exactly what she says. So she's also very open that she's not like, I think that's also why we like her, right? Because it's like, she's not selling anything. Like, she's not like, if you read these 10 steps, you will live a healthier, happier, more fruitful life. Mm-hmm. She's like, come dance with this comfort with me. <laughs> and, then, and then you're just like, that's a weird intro. <laughs> And she like built a case around it, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. She built a case that there's like a higher level of like embracing of like Maslow and there is like creativity and power and true trust and true connection and joy and all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But she doesn't frame it in like, hey, you know, just do these three things and you'll finally have that joy in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and I respect her for it, right? Because she's like, do the hard thing. Mm-hmm. Struggle forever with me. Right. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I love her. She's, she's kind of special. <laughs> She is really special. So yeah, if uh, this perks your interest, buy one of her books. She's amazing. She's everywhere. You can find her at any bookstore. You can find her in podcasts, TED Talks. She has her own, I think, YouTube channel now. She's Yes, we are not shedding light on some hidden gem. Yes, no. Um, we, but, you know, to be honest, like, amplify the important. Yeah. I, I don't want to be known for the person that found the secret tiny thing that everyone needs to know. I, I'm just as happy just being like, hey, no, seriously, if one of the thousand of you or one of the hundred of you have not read one of these books yet, I'll just tell you again. I, like, I've talked to three Brene Brown ver- versions in the past week. Like, really? They've never heard of her. One of my clients was like, you have to read this book. And some, my mom and somebody else, like, yeah. So there are people that haven't heard of her. Right. So, like, there's value. I've decided there's value and this podcast was enough done boom (laughs) don't worry podcast you're worthy (laughs) you are worthy we have said it is so (laughs) and I'll probably have a vulnerability hangover later and it'll be fun (laughs) yeah why do we do a podcast with vulnerability (laughs) (laughs) perfect well we'll see you next week where we'll probably be vulnerable again yes let's do that let's do that okay see you later (laughs) bye Bye. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha